Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Killer Collab Podcast. My name is Tone Deaf in Florida, Tony D. And to my left, as always, I'm joined with Chris Leto from Reaper Films. Howdy. Hello, sir. What's up? You good? Great. Unfortunately, Joe Davison was unable to, uh, due to scheduling conflicts, was not able to join us. Joe Davison is not here. Joe Davison. Joe yeah. Davison's not here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and joining us, special guest. For the show, Killer Collab Podcast, Austin Janowski. Fair morrow, gentlemen. Fair morrow. Good morning. Hello. Joe Davison's not here. Joe Davison's not here. Paging Joe Davison. Paging Joe Davison. Oh, well. Yes. You know, his loss, I mean, he's just usually just high on, on the and just talks about On him. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. So welcome. Good morning, Joe. I mean, Austin, sorry, I'm used to Joe being here and yelling at me for some no, no reason. Uh, so usually what we do, we introduce the guest, and then we pretty much, you know, give them a rundown of uh, who you are and what they may know you from, and we're going to go sure. from there. So, Austin, give us, yes. a, give us a rundown of what my viewers and listeners will be able to uh, see you in or what you have worked on recently. All right, so I... I am a professional comic book artist since 1994. That's 28 years. Wow. Working on Iron Man and X-Men for Marvel and Image and IDW and a bunch of other companies. Uh, as an actor, I've worked on Black Veil, Dan uh, Myricks, and Jeffrey Reddick series. I have a TV and series coming out next year that I can't talk about because it's NDA. Ooh. And a movie called 48 Seconds it's, will be on Netflix it's supposed to be this fall, but oh, that's fantastic! That's exciting. What kind of what kind of movie is that? It's a um, a thriller, um, very nice. suspense thriller. Yeah, it's a robbery sort of film. Yeah. I play a detective, and uh, nice horror wise. Um, other stuff. I'm on Joe Davidson's uh, series South of Central. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Joe, <laughs> Joe actually wrote a, a couple of stories for my zombie series, Zombies Were Human Too. Nice. It's a comic book series, so gotcha. Yeah, and we just started working on season two. Has he talked to you about that? Yet? We we just wrote one episode so far, but you know he's just getting in there. But season two yeah. of uh, of uh, South Essential starting actually should be next week. Um, we're start shooting the first episode. Yep. So that's yep. fun. So I play Paul Hammerstone in the series. I, I play a lawyer. Yeah, unscrupulous lawyer. Unscrupulous. Yes. So. Yeah, Joe seems to have a lot of fun with that that show. He, I, I watched uh, the first full season, and then uh, yeah, he's bringing uh, the series to actually this channel, Real People, Real Content, on YouTube. On so uh, he's uh, branching out to expand the viewership and uh, joining us totally on our channel. So that's going to be uh, definitely good to the awesome. larger audience. Yeah, that's great, man. Will uh, Will Joe be joining us today? To, today? No, paging Joe Davison. <laughs> Paging Joe Davison, you're needed. You're needed. Your parents are here. They're looking for you tirelessly. Um, but uh, yeah, he's actually starting at the uh, Phantasm. I think he's starting shooting over there at uh, Phantasm. I think that's what next weekend or something like that. Uh, it's this weekend. Yeah, Phantasm Orlando this weekend yep. at the Rosen Single Creek Resort in Orlando. Yep. Yep. So he's uh, actually going to be shooting an episode there. So I was actually supposed to go there, but I would unfortunately have uh, other obligations that I must 
take hold of. Um, I, was, I was supposed to shoot it, but unfortunately I could not. But, you know, are, are you going to be there? Yeah, yeah, I'm a guest at the show that weekend. So oh, he's yeah. planning for to shoot my scene on Sunday. Nice. I think. Saturday or Sunday, depending on how things are busy. Yeah. Um, it's... It's a really cool show. It's its second year, but it's like, you know, three years in. The ownership is really great. I did uh, the first year and had a really good time. They got really, like, Spooky Empire has great guests, mm -hmm. um, but it's mostly men, whereas Phantasm is mostly women, Oh, which is pretty cool. And they have a lot of Halloween actors and, and all that from the previous films are going to be at the, at the show. So I'm pretty stoked about that, too. Really, I didn't know that. Like, what show is this? Phantasm. Phantasm Orlando. Phantasm Orlando. Yeah, they, they've got that. two. They got two out of the three uh, main actors that played Michael. Oh. Um, Castle's gonna be there. Of the, sorry. Frank Castle's gonna be there. Not Frank Castle. What's his first name? Nick Castle. Nick Castle. Mm, I think if he is, he is. There was one that canceled. I can't remember which one it was. Oh. Uh, okay. Yeah, but the one. The old but, cancel. Yeah, well, he's, yeah, the, he, he's the, the oldest the, one. He was the original. So I was no, the original. No, Reginald Hill. He will be there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, he will be there. Yep. Yeah, I was supposed um, to go to a concert, a three-day concert, over the weekend last weekend with my kid, uh, and I was going to drive up Saturday. It started Friday. We were going Saturday and Sunday, and thirty minutes before the gates open on Friday, they canceled the entire show, <laughs> the whole weekend. Wow. Holy Jesus. Yeah. I'm like, what is happening? They said the grounds were too wet. I'm like, this is a freaking rock like metal show, and they're crying yeah. about mud. I was like, really? Yeah. So I guess the fire marshal shut them down or something. So now I'm gonna have to jump. I gotta jump through like 82 hoops to get my money back. So anyway, back to Phantasm. So <laughs> is, is this a it's a horror convention? Yeah, it's a horror convention. Yeah. No shit. And yeah, it's yeah in Orlando, so and it's this weekend coming up. Yeah, it's this weekend. Yeah, at the Rosen Shingle Creek Resort. Is it's it Friday, um, Saturday, Sunday, or just Saturday? Friday, yeah, no, Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Wow. Yeah. What's it cost to get in? Do you know? No, I don't know. Free for you, right? Because you're a guest. Yeah, it's free for me. Oh, yeah. Up. Are you on one of the panels, or do you have a booth? It. It's crazy. Uh, actually, I'm one of the the uh, the guests, so I get to hang out with the cool people up up with the other. Actors and stuff like that. So, oh, very nice, awesome. Yeah, it's, yeah, I get to be at the high tables. I'm usually all over this stuff. Like, I don't, I don't know why I don't know about this thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, and it's it, Chris. It's funny. They they've got a um, they've got a, a film festival going on that weekend and all sorts of stuff. Oh, that's nuts! Because the only person I see promoting it is Joe Davidson. I don't even actually even see any. It. Like, I see him on Instagram and. Uh, on Facebook, yeah, he he did a couple of promos for it, um, huh. but I haven't seen anything otherwise. Like I haven't seen any advertisements for it, especially really. I'm, and I'm in I'm all the groups too. I'm surprised they're kind of, they're kind of competing with Spooky. That's kind of well, interesting. Okay, so Spooky's what yeah, next, Spook next month or this October? Yeah, yeah, but it's later on in the month. Yeah, yeah, yeah because I'm supposed I mean, to be. If it's in the same I, month, that's competing. Like that's, you know, yeah. if I'm going to spend money. On a convention. Oh, but look at all the conventions that everyone one. missed because of the pandemic. So True. people are just people are just getting out of that. Get, yeah, go to stuff. Well, and also recoup some of the you know income that you know they right. they've missed, especially during the circuit the circuit of uh, conventions. I I know there was a lot of uh, 
missed opportunities that they had during that time. So, sure. so I guess you know that could be an example of that too. But I don't know if they're competing technically. They could be just expanding the community, uh, the horror yeah. community, which you know. And you said this Phantasm is mostly females, right? Yeah, there's there's mostly the female uh, coming to the show, guest wise. Um, there might be a few more, but that's how it was. I know they got like two or three to fill the gap of other ones that were supposed to come that ended up canceling. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I speaking of the pandemic, so I was at C2E2 right when the pandemic was starting. And I had, I mean, I was supposed to do San Diego. I was supposed to do New York Comic Con. I was supposed to do all these big shows. And I, nothing, I missed them all. Yep. And even this past year, uh, Megacon was my first big show that I had done. Um, and we had to wear masks. You you could not be in the show unless you wore masks. Yep. And that's pretty much the norm now. If any event you want to go to, you have to wear a mask indoors. Right. It's enforced. They just they won't allow it because people, shows cannot afford to lose another year. Like they can maybe miss one year. Right. If they miss two years, they're done. They're screwed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so to your point, yeah. Normally, you would be competing if there's two big horror shows. Um, but I think Spooky's, I know Spooky's is three days. Uh, people just want to do an event. I think they're more than happy to go to a couple because they, I mean, horror fans, they do like six or eight horror shows a year. Right. They weren't able to do any. They have like, you know, they're they had, Jonesy. Uh, they had Sinister Nights in Miami, which was the first year, and like all the guests canceled. Like it was pretty crazy. Um, yeah. I know Joe went to that one, um, but I know there was like four or five guests that were supposed to be there, and they all canceled. Felissa Rose, Kane Hodder, uh, a couple other ones, and um, yeah, I heard it wasn't so great. Was uh, was MegaCon? How was MegaCon as far as attendance and stuff? Uh, so it was steady for all three days. We didn't have that big push on Saturday. It was about 25% down what it normally is. Uh, but it was, we were good um, overall. And we made, I made good money, you know. Um, Megacon isn't really a big money maker for me. It used to be, but it's more of a fandom show. Comics are kind of like the third tier down. Right. And uh, just, you know, I've got my fans that come to the shows and see me, but the regular people don't normally do it. But this past year, Everyone was going through and buying all sorts of stuff, which was great. Um, yeah, so we yeah, went to, we went to Tampa Comic Con and it wasn't so great. Like the, we went on Friday, which may have had something to do with it. No, actually, we went Saturday, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it was like the attendance was not good, and the vendors too. Like there was usually in Com- Tampa Comic Con, the whole front row is just all comic book vendors. And it was maybe half of that, if that. Um, well, they weren't. Kind of they weren't promoting. Yeah, they weren't promoting guests. You you didn't really know who was going to be there. Yeah, and and, and the reason not good either. Like there was. Yeah, I think the biggest name well, there was the guy that played Boba Fett, and <laughs> the little kid in the yeah and Clone Wars in a Clone Wars. Uh, Logan. Um, yeah, yeah, Logan yeah. something or other. Well, they got bought out. Guy, Tampa though. Bay. Fan X bought that, oh. so that was the transition that they they bought them right before the show was gonna start. So they just kind of ran it. Mm-hmm. 
because they had, you know, people had paid money for whatever. But up until like previous years, booths were sold out. Like you couldn't get one. And they were like basically harassing me to want to get a booth. And I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm not interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my kid, my kid w- was gonna get one because he li- he works up there and um, at Epic Comics in Orlando, and um, yeah, he uh, him and two other guys were gonna get a table, and our comic book for Naked Cannibal Campers had just come out, so I was like, man, let me, you know, I'll give you fifty bucks, so let me come up there Saturday and you know sell yeah. the comic books, and he was like, yeah, sure. Well, they all the guests started canceling, and they basically failed like they didn't end up buying the table because of that they felt like the attendance was going to be down yeah yeah it was wow yeah but it's it, it, you know the world we live, it's just so unpredictable now you, yeah, just, no, you just don't know like like i mean there's a lot of shows but there's not like people i don't know right it, you just never know if people you are going to show up sucks and then you know I'm, I'm wanting to buy tickets to rockville now which is a four-day festival yeah up in daytona and, you know, for me and my kid to go for two days is going to be like 500 something dollars. And now I'm kind of like, do yeah. I want to drop this money? And then, you know, a week before the show, they cancel it. And then you got to jump through a million hoops to get your money back. Like, yeah, it's kind of making me leery now to to go ahead and buy tickets to anything, really, um, just because everything's so mm-hmm. sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, a lot of states are still in like lockdown, so a lot, a lot of a lot of guests like uh, you know for these conventions and bands are like stuck in these states where right. they're still locked down. But then and- what's funny is you you turn on college football on Saturday and the Wisconsin Badgers stadium is full. Yeah, and nobody's wearing masks. Like, yeah, it's just it's it's, it's crazy. So I don't know what you know the difference in jurisdictions or what's right. what's going. On. I know New Jersey's still pretty. I think they're just opening up. Um, like largely, um, same thing with New York. I think they're just doing, right. you know, the bare minimum just to get open. So I, I really don't know what state or what you know what state these states are in for mm-hmm. uh, for this you know pandemic. So I don't. I really don't know. Like I said, it's unpredictable. You don't. And know it's weird. You think California the, too. You think with all the sports, air, you know, sports games going on. Yeah. You, know, you got college football. You got pro football. You got baseball. I mean, all this stuff going on, and you think that. The numbers would be going up, but I don't think they are. Yeah. Well, yeah. Every game you watch in the NFL, they're they're sold out everywhere. Yeah, they're all sold out everywhere. And you gotta uh, think. All right. So just I don't know why I keep thinking Wisconsin, but you got you like the, you want to go to Wisconsin? No, I don't. I don't really <laughs> care about Wisconsin. But anyway, you got the Badgers game where they got eighty thousand people in a stadium. Yeah. Watching the Badgers, and then the next day you got the Packers, and they're sold out with fifty, sixty thousand people. Yeah. Like you think Wisconsin would be like. All their numbers would be crazy right now, but yeah, well, I don't think they are. Maybe they have good, uh, good you know, vac- or vaccination numbers. Maybe you know, a lot of these states have better vaccination numbers than we do in Florida. Maybe because they're so like their bitter cold makes their immune system really strong. No, that actually makes it more weak. <laughs> That's you know when you get cold and pneumonia <laughs> and flu. Um, but I don't know. So, so um, you said you were working on a project now. What was it? Forty? What was it called? Oh, 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 45 seconds. 45 yeah, no, seconds. it's, 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 it's all done and everything. It's just, it's completed and let me guess. Supposed they to gotta be, rob the bank in 45 seconds. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> or they have 45 seconds to do whatever they had to do. I, I know I played detective bagel, beagle. It's bagel. been a few years. They had it completed. <laughs> the pandemic shut it down and 
Um, yeah, it's still slated for Netflix. I just don't know when. Um, so when you were on set, did you have like a whole bunch of different protocols to do for the pandemic stuff, or was it? I think it was before that, right? It was made before. No, the it pandemic? was before. Yeah, it was oh, wow. shot before the pandemic. Yeah, it's funny. It the, this pandemic thing with with film. Um, so I've been on some SAG productions that didn't follow protocols hardly at all, and then I was on some some non-union stuff where they check temperatures and they wanted you to get tested and everything like that. It's, you know, it's kind of a case by case that and how to do things. Yeah. I'm just doing my own self-protection. I wear masks all the time. And, but that's for me. Yeah. Right. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I can to protect myself and whatever I'm, I'm vaccinated and, and all that. Cause Really, I wanted to be able to cruise. That's kind of what we we're like. Oh, all right, we're going to cruise. We need to get vaccinated. That's why. Right. And then oh, it's well, also that's why we do too. I mean, you yeah. want to travel and to kind of force in your hand. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's. I'm in a film called The Lady Makers with with Jasmine Guy. Where I'm shooting my scenes next week up in Atlanta. And I said, so what are the protocols? And they go, well, we'll just you know wear your mask and then we'll check your temperature. Okay, but this is a SAG production, right? Yes. Isn't there like a, a officer or someone to do? There's like a there's a big book, right, of like SAG procedures that you have to follow. I thought, well, it's a it's a medium SAG budget. It's not a full SAG production. Hmm. Oh, strange. Did you Wait. say Jasmine Guy? Yeah, Jasmine Guy. Like yeah, Whitley from a different yes. world. Where's yeah. she been? She's been doing a lot of different TV. Really? Yeah. Yeah. God, I don't think I've seen Surprising. her ever. That's so funny. I just, I'm like, really? So I had to, I checked her <laughs> up. Like, oh, she's been on this. Oh, she's been on this. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's funny because when I, whenever I post for something like the casting for a movie or a music video or something, some guy always comments on my COVID officer question mark. And I'm like, dude, this is like a $3,000 movie. Like, Get off my page. <laughs> <laughs> it's like ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a few productions I want to do that I'm putting on hold till next year, just on the off chance that things can slow down and we can ease things up a little bit. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, we made two movies yeah. in the middle of everything. Um, we started in what, we were pretty July. Low, we were pretty low-key, though. Yeah, small cast and... Crew. kind of stayed away from each other for the most part yeah but yeah we didn't have any problems um yeah we were outdoors pretty much for one of them yeah like so that one was, was outdoors one was pretty much all indoors yeah but um yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean like it's a case to case you know especially with big big productions you have so many different people like you've got like what 50 people on set like on those big oh yeah and so it's you have to have certain different protocols for for that as well so Compared to what we had, we had five people like total on the set, so right. it's, it's 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 a different, definitely different thing. I'm the whole crew. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, do you have anything else uh, that you're working on production-wise? Are you uh, are you are you you write as well? You do the comics. What? Yeah. Doing? So I have a um, <clears throat> I have a Christmas book called Stand with the Snowman that's being published by Scout Comics. And the graphic nice. novel will be in storage Christmas time. Fantastic. That's a that's a that's quick great. turnaround. That's a quick turnaround. 
like what do you do so i know you made um dawn of the dead comic book what yeah what do you do with, like how do you distribute it do you just sell them at shows and stuff or do you actually go through a distributor to get them in stores so um for books that i've, I've created for film projects usually that's just for them as a marketing tool to help promote their 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 film or or tv show or whatever that's kind of the the goal of it um i have a few publishers that i'm i'm working with one second site one is scout um and then i have my own tin sky uh and diamond is the distributor for comic books right. now i've got stanley with scout that's going nationwide um my divine retribution which is a angel series angel fantasy series um that's going nationwide that's through second site that's through diamond uh, which got sold out at at the retailer level, which was very cool. So that's going on in the actual series. We'll start next year. We have a director's cut that will be in previews next month. We'll be out by January, and then we'll do whatever. And then I have that series starting in February. Um, so I've got a bunch of comic book stuff that's going on. Either I've written or I'm, I'm help, you know, getting film stuff, putting out books to help promote their 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 films and everything but to answer your question yeah we'll sell shows and we'll have comps and everything like that to help promote but um it's usually going through distributor with my stuff which is so, nice so when you go through diamond is it um first of all i've heard they're a nightmare to deal with is that the case yeah 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 and then uh two like how like how many copies do they require to distribute like is there a certain amount of copies that you have to give them to sell or is it any yeah any the the threshold for ordering is usually 2500 that's what they're looking for that's minimum all right um because that covers for shipping costs with them and everything like that right and you really want that kind of number if, if for yourself to kind of break even or try to make some money right. from them for the ordering um so if you did so like that, a 2500 dollar run I mean, a 2,500 copy run, like what do yeah. you make on that roughly profit? So if you're, if normal comic books run three ninety nine four dollars mm -hmm. um, after cost, I think stores are getting, or, or uh, publishers are getting 80 cents a book all said and done. Doesn't it cost and you then, more to make the book? Like what does it cost it can. you to make the book? Yeah, it can depend. Well, it depends on what you know for printing costs and everything that you're going through too. You know what I mean? Well, that's what I mean. Like the, to print a copy of a comic book, I would think that's pretty close to eighty cents or more, right? Yeah, it is. So yeah, you're basically is. breaking even or losing money on a twenty-five hundred dollar yeah. copy. Racket. Man, you are making so, comic so it's no different the love, man. Yeah. You're not making it to make money. So it's no different than movie yeah. distribution distribution basically. Basically. So and music and like so if you're an artist, like it's pretty much impossible to make any money nowadays. Because yeah. everybody all the big big companies are making all the money. Like you put a yeah. movie on Amazon and you get all these hits and Amazon's probably making a thousand dollars and you're making like a, a dollar like I'm, I'm getting <laughs> checks for a dollar yeah. put in my account yeah. for a quarter I'm talking yeah. about a quarter of sales yeah I get a dollar well yeah like it's crazy 
So as a comic book creator, like, how do you come up with these ideas? Like, like the scenes that you draw in certain blocks, like, like, how do you like think of like all of that creation? You know what I mean? Like the different, uh, I, I don't know, when you're when you see someone punching somebody in the comic book, like, how do you come up like 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 no really? Because I, I where, like where would you come up with that stuff? Like, where do you come up with these dumb questions, Tony? I, it's not a dumb question. <laughs> It's not a dumb question. It's it's something how how a mind works when you're creating comics. Because uh, um, we all have different minds. Like yeah, I mean, when, when I'm shooting something, I have an idea of how I want it to portray on the scene. But on right. a block, you have to draw that, and you have to actually yeah. make that from your mind to pen to right. paper and make it make that scene come to life and have people understand what's going on in your head. You know what I mean? So it's right. a lot, it's a lot different than camera. Camera, you can like perceive it because you you can actually put. You have to in a comic book and a drawing. You have to make that come to life for the viewer. So it's like, like, how, like how did like I don't even know how that even processes. Like, it's just it's just mind-boggling to me because you have to actually see that to portray it on on the block. And so like, yeah, it's just it's 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 like right. it's like wow to me. It's like a painting. Like like I don't like when the, when these big artists like like Da Vinci or Van Gogh when they put something out, they have something in their mind for each individual block of that painting. Right. So I think it's just an artist's mind. I mean, they, yeah. you know, yeah. like Beethoven could look at keys and just play it. Like, I don't, I think everybody has something else in mm -hmm. them that they can do. And Austin's is, yeah, make comic book blocks. <laughs> so, to answer your question. Yes. Yes, it is an artistic mind, but it is the ability to take the picture that's in your head recreate it using your hand to draw it out yes everyone can draw every i say that everyone can draw and it might not be great and it might not be good but everyone can do something and and think of like a line and make a line on a piece of paper they can kind of do that yeah the problem that people have is they think well it's not as good as this well you're not trying to be a professional artist you're an artist you can do so so how am I able to do that? Or how are other other people able to do that? Uh, when I got into film, because I've been knowing, I was in film about, God, not even six years now. And writing scripts for film, it's completely different than writing scripts for comic books. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of the details in the scripts are done on set, right. right? You have basic breakdowns of how you want the scene to be, but once you're on set, you got your lighting, you got your camera angles, and you've got your sound, and then you got your actors, and then you're building that scene that you have here on the fly. Yeah. Right? You have moving parts. So with comic books, you have to be very descriptive on your breakdown. You have an idea, you break that down per issue. From issue, you break it down per page, per pages by hand. And there's different descriptions and you describe like, okay, uh, I have a wide panel shot yeah. and uh, Jim running to the right towards his, you know, towards blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So you're kind of breaking it down so they can say, okay, they can follow what's going on. Then from there, when you're drawing it, it's all building block process. What I do is I will do, I used to do stick figures as kind of a basic setup. Yeah. And then from stick figures, you're actually building characters. Once you have characters, you set up and you draw backgrounds and you go from there. And it's all learning how to draw 
things and then taking things and putting together. It's like building a set, right? Yeah, For a yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same principle. Building blocks. It's like a movie that you're, you're basically the storyboard of a movie, correct? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Whatever. I've always, even before I got into film, any comic book that I created, I had the film in my head. And I thought at the time, I'm never going to be in film. This is the closest I can get. This is what I want to do. And this, that's how I've approached pretty much every film project and every comic book project. It's the same mindset. It's just um, the different techniques of how to create this, creating what you want to create. And what's cool about comic books is you have a trillion dollar budget. You can make <laughs> anything you want. Yeah. And it doesn't cost you. Yeah. Well, yeah, sky's the limit. It's fantastic. Yeah, it only allows, you know, you have the limit of what your mind can give it, I guess. Your talent of the hand. Because mm -hmm. yeah. conception, from, for me, conception is to inception. It's just, like, I could see the scene in my head, but I can't translate it onto, uh, onto a paper. Like, I could you write it. How to draw? I used to. I used to actually be a really good artist. Like, uh, do you think that people are just born with that talent? Or do you think... And I mean, obviously, you can, if you have that talent, you can get better. Um, but like someone like me that I don't, I can't draw worth a damn. Do you think someone like me could learn how to draw like a Marvel artist? Or do you think that's just something you're born with? No, everyone has the ability to learn and, and get the techniques to draw to the point where they could get hired. Now, there are some people that are just born talented. When I was trying to break into comic books, I had a friend of mine, Tom Chapman, and he was one of those dis disgustingly talented people didn't have to try. He could just do it and do it really well. Um, I had to work at it a lot. It's just one of those things. Um, I had the propensity to be to do art, um, and I enjoyed the black and white medium. That's how I could visualize a lot of stuff. You know, 2D black and white was my jam it's since i was six years old that's kind of like how i drew and that's how i fell into comic books and became an anchor because i liked finishing a page i liked the black and white art medium and that to me i was most comfortable with and i found the most success um so yeah anyone can if they put enough time and effort they can be competent enough to actually make a page and probably get hired and do some work are you going to be at the top level, probably not, because that's that's where talent comes in. Right. Yeah, the separation between you know the work the the people that could do this and the ten percent of the ones that are really stupidly they have that God given talent right. that can go in above the rest. That's where it is. Um, so it's kind of like athletes too. Like some people are guys that God given talent. Some of them really have to work on it. Like right. they got to work on the ABCs of swinging, um, how to run a base properly. Like there, there's a lot of people that either have it or they, you know, or they can develop it. Right. But yeah, right. are, exactly. are they going to be? Did you just get it, Derek Jeter? No, you might not be Derek Jeter, but you could be a um, who's your stuff for the race? <laughs> Wander Franco. Or they could be that guy. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, Wanda Franco is like the, is the five tool guy, and then um, yeah, like some of the other players are like good two or three tool yeah. players. Like they're good, you know what I mean? Like Meadows, like Meadows is a good hitter and, and good fielder, but he's you know 
maybe he's got some deficiencies in other areas right. yeah. and the other people they can just do everything great it's just one of those things yeah. you know what i mean yeah. it's I, like I, conor I, mcgregor he can fight that like hell but he can't throw a baseball yeah <laughs> well that? yeah, no. oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god he threw a first pitch the other night and that was brilliant he threw it like almost over the freaking seats like it was ridiculous well yeah uh, like this it. guy has never thrown anything in his entire life yeah no well, you got to say but well, well you know the athletes can't, can't necessarily do every sport, you know. <laughs> but I mean, they might have God-given talent, but you know, they might not be great at everything. Right. I think that's like right. me growing up. I, I played soccer, basketball, football, baseball, and I was good in all of them, but I wasn't like great, great in, any in any of them. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. I grew up pretty much playing football and baseball, and football I was okay. I was average, but then in baseball I was you know, all-star for a while. And I, you know, went to division one school, but it just, was I like amazing? No, but I was pretty good. Good enough to play college. It's yeah. Good. So, you know, I, I guess, you know, we all have our limits, our ceilings, and some of them have higher ceilings. Some of them have a uh, higher floor. Some of them, you know, right. So yeah. I, I do you use a, do you use a digital tablet to draw or do you freehand? Oh, uh, it's all traditional. Uh, I'm going to be getting into the digital just because um, after 20 some odd years of doing art by hand, mm -hmm. I'm finding I have arthritis in my drawing hand. So digitally will make it a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny, you know, um, about f six years ago, my back was about four inches out of alignment, just completely out. And uh, just from hunching over and inking and everything and holding your hand a certain way. And I it took six months of, chiropractic to really get things back in shape. I had to relearn how to hold my brush, how to position myself and, and change my table, everything to make it easier for me to do art. I have to wrap my, my brushes now in super squishy soft stuff because otherwise I'm squishing really hard, which messes the tendons and carpal tunnel, all that crap. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. You know what I mean? About, right? Um, so yeah, digital is the way I'm going to be going. Yeah. And uh, but I'll, I, I was like astonished. That's not real artwork. You got to put. You're putting energy from your hand into the piece of paper. And now I'm like I'm over fifty, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do whatever I want. Have you used? <laughs> have it. you used those? <laughs> I want to sit. On, I sit on my lounge and just be able to draw. Man, yeah. my, right. you know, my screen's here. I'm drawing right here. It's, it's all about comfort at this point. Have you ever used those before? The um, digitals. Have you used those Hello? before, the digital oh, me? tablet? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you talked in. Yeah. yeah, no, I have. Yeah. I absolutely have. Is there like um, a, is it, a big transition going from what you used to do to that? Yes. Like there's a big learning yeah. curve? I, I have a lot of friends, uh, pro artists who work for Marvel and DC who went digital and they love it. But you have to build um, your, your, your brushes specifically. Um, to work with the type of art style that you're doing, there's a, there's a lot of presets in building your your library of things to be able to do what you want to do. It's not just be able to pick it up and do it. I found out. Um, but like there's iPads. The new iPad is great for it now. It used to be just Wacom. Like a Wacom tablet was like the digital thing. Yeah. Um, and then they they branched out. Now it's the technology's there that most. Uh, digital things like iPads, that sort of stuff, has that ability to draw on it, hmm. which is which is good with me because you know 
Um, mostly I want to use it for sketching and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, finished art. I still want to try to do traditionally with it, with a brush. I can do a, a, a cleaner line and a thinner line than most digital people can do. And the reason I'm saying that is that when you're doing artwork, a lot of the digital artwork is pretty, but it's, it's very clean. It's a little too, um, what's the word I want? It's non-organic. processed Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little too, too, too perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't look realistic. You know what I mean? And it's, it's a certain look style look that you're, that you're going for. Whereas like for horror, you don't want that. Horror is very organic. Very, there's a lot of stuff going on. So digital doesn't necessarily work because it's just so uh, smooth. Right. The lines are so smooth and, and clean, sharp yeah. edges. There's no real variations of lines. It's really hard to kind of do it. So there's a lot of stuff that I like um, this. You know what I mean? Um, let's see. That's all brush. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's all brushing. So, but I've been doing it for so long. I have that ability to do so. Um, but yeah, I, for like, cause I get contacted for doing storyboarding and stuff like that. It takes me too much time traditionally to do so. But if I have a digital, mm -hmm. I can whip things out a lot faster because I don't have to draw big. I can sketch small and then blow it up if I need to. That's, that's the nice ability of digital is able to blow up and do different and things. If you mess up, you can just erase it and not have to throw the paper away. Right. The, what about the paper? If you mess up, like you don't have to throw the paper away, you can just correct it. Yeah, I, I've got I've got my nice white white paint in case you know something. Luckily, I've done to the point where I'm pretty good on making mistakes. But yeah, there's been plenty of times like I'll draw something and I'm like, yeah, this sucks, and then just you know rip it up and, and try to do something else. Whereas digital's just like, Manzi. Yep. Yep. Oh, that was like, Manzi. How much paper do you think you know artists go through like? It's it's nuts. How, they talk about waste of paper and trees and everything, but artists, wow, they go through. Well. I know when I'm writing anything, like I, I ball up paper, and I'm like I have a pile of like like three feet high when I'm done drawing or writing something. So it's like, yeah, I can't imagine how much paper is wasted on certain certain artists because they just get oh, frustrated, yeah. especially the perfectionists, especially the perfectionists. Yeah, they um. What what I do is I do thumbnails. I do. Uh, small thumbnails to kind of rough out basically what I'm trying to come up with if it's something new. And then from there I'll take, I'll take pages and I'll, I'll do blue line and I draw that way. Mm -hmm. um, I use both sides of my paper. Some people don't because comic book artists like to sell their artwork. Yeah. Um, for me, if it's not Marvel or DC stuff that I've done, people don't seem to be really interested in my artwork. So I'm like, whatever. I'm just using both sides because I don't feel like spending money on paper. You know, yeah. um, but yeah, like I have a buddy of mine, he has pads of, of stuff and he just, he'll draw a little bit. He, he doesn't, doesn't, you don't erase cause that's taking away the vision. If you erase, man, you can't erase your lines, even if it's not good. And I'm like, you drew two lines and you're ripping off the paper. What are you doing? Cause the energy's in the paper, man. <laughs> what? He's a natural. Right. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> I asked him one time, like, so how much do you smoke a day? He's like, I don't smoke at all, man. The high that I have, 
Oh, is oh, in yeah. my artwork <laughs> and the joy that I bring whenever hemp. I create. That's definitely <laughs> hemp like, paper. That hemp paper. Oh, like, maybe you should smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know. Wow. <laughs> well, is he good? It's, yeah, he's great, but he doesn't draw big. He draws small. Like, he draws, like, I'd say maybe six inch by six inch stuff is what he draws, right? Uh, yeah. But he uses like 11 by 17 pieces of paper oh. to draw because he needs that, that space to get things in perspective, man. And just <laughs> he tries to, he is like, uh, there's like artsy, artsy, fartsy, artsy. Right? Yeah. That's his thing. You know what I mean? And I'm like, that's cool. Like, you want to be artsy, that's, that's great. Whatever you want to do. But like, literally, you can't buy smaller paper. Like it's okay. No, man, I need space. <laughs> you should write I do. post-its. Yeah, you can do post-it notes art. He can't. He cannot understand the stuff. It's like, how can you do that, man? It's just all those lies. Just gives me a headache. And I'm like, because uh, that's just what I do. I just, you know, yeah, I'm drawing people. Everyone has a style. Everyone has their style. What would your style yeah. be? What would you call your style? Uh, it's it's a superheroish sort of style. Yeah. It's it's um it is a, from comic book terms. I am an Alan Davis, uh, Gary Frank, um, Ken Neary artist. It is clean, organic lines. I like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to do a lot of black and whites. I'm not afraid to throw a lot of blacks on an image. Um, do you guys know Bernie Wrightson? Nope. Not off the top of my head. So Bertie Wrightson was a comic book artist. He was the one of the top horror artists mm. ever. When, when we're done talking, Google him, and you will be amazed at the art that he created just doing line work and ink. The blacks and the line works and stuff is just tremendous. Um, that's the kind of artwork that I like to do. I like I want to be able to do the piece of artwork and see it. And then if you add color, it only enhances the actual image. It's not um, carrying the image. Yep. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. You know, back in my day, when we did comic books, black and white was basically you finish the page, the color was added on just as spot colors, just to add something to the book itself. Yeah. That was it. Now coloring has really gone advanced and it's really kind of taken over as the art medium and inkers kind of secondary, but that's the kind of art that I like to do. I like to do, I like to do very clean, but also very gritty because black and white affords you to do both the texturing and everything that you're able to accomplish in black and white rivals nothing as far as I'm concerned. Something I was always curious about with artists and uh, creators. Do you still have the first piece of art that you really were proud of? Do you still have that piece of art? Sure do. Yeah, I got my portfolio right here. I do it. I do it. A lot of artists do that. It's it's just it's just something that you know. It's that proud pride moment, and then you actually get to see where you developed from too. You can see what techniques have have evolved. But your first piece of piece of art, you're like, wow, I did that first time, and then it just grows from there. Like, do you remember your first? It's- it's the seed of potential yep. <clears throat> that you have that you sh- that says, yeah, I could actually possibly do this because I did this. I'm sure I can do more if I tried it. It's that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, when did you first get that, you know, that art book 
Like, did, did you learn it in high school, school, or did you go to like a like an art school? Uh, actually, uh, I started when I was six. My grandfather was a really good artist. Uh, he painted and he could sculpt. He he did um. <clears throat> It's called woodworking when we went to school. It was called something completely different when he was teaching, but he did a lot of woodworking, carving, all that. Mm-hmm. And we he had a cottage up in upstate New York that we would visit in the summertime, no TV. We were fishing or whatever, but if it rained, not a whole lot you could really do. Yeah. So I liked how he did artwork, so we started drawing ducks, draw, drawing birds. Mm-hmm. That's how I started actually doing artwork and setting outside, drawing trees and everything like that. And then I got into the fantasy reading like Piers Anthony and all that. And then D&D, that got me into the whole different things. I was drawing everything fantasy, monsters, minotaurs, whatever. And then I got into comic books when I was 14. Started taking art classes around then. And then, uh, yeah, the rest was history. I, uh, I was in college with my friend Tom, the disgustingly talented artist. <laughs> and uh, there was a show in Syracuse, close to where I lived. Bart Sears was going to be there. Bart Sears is a comic book artist who does extremely dynamic anatomy characters. He knows more about the anatomy than pretty much anyone. The stuff that he does is absolutely terrific. And he was working on Justice League Europe, you know, um, are you familiar with the DC character Power Girl? Power Girl? Power Girl. No. no Short so. hair, blonde, really big tits. Like, <laughs> really good. So, I wanted to meet Bart Sears, my favorite artist. I wanted a Power Girl sketch. I wanted boobs because he draws boobs really good. So, I got some of my samples just on the off chance I wanted to show a couple of people. And I'm waiting in line and I finally get to him. And I'm so excited. I'm talking to Tom and he draws, he gives it back to me. And it's literally a headshot from here up. <laughs> and I'm, honestly, and I'm like this. I'm looking down. I'm looking at him. Looking down. Looking at him. And he notices me looking. And he goes, what? I go, power girl. He goes, yeah. And I'm like, tits. This is what this is a headshot. What is it? He's like, you know how many of these I've drawn today? I'm like, well, I'm like that's a problem. I know, right? He's like, well, are you an artist? And then I'm all slack jawing. And he saw my samples, and he's like, oh, wait, let me see your samples. So, like, mortified, I'm like, oh, my God. I showed, gave my samples to him. It had this kind of look like, mmm. Now, Tom was the penciler. I was the inker. I was trying to be an inker. So he actually stopped and looked at it for a minute. Now, next to him on his left was Graham Nolan, who was working on Hawk World. Graham went on to work on Batman for a long time. And then Tom Lyle was working on Robin at the time. Wow. So they both looked at it, wrote a couple things down. It got passed right down the table. Different artists. Got passed back to me. They go, so here's some things that we think you need to work on. But if you work on these things, you could be a comic book artist. So just work on these things, and we'll see you next year. That was the moment. I was like, I'm going to be a comic book artist. And I'm telling my friends, and I'm telling my parents, and this is going to be great. And that's kind of how I decided to try to break into comic books. Perfect timing, though, because in 1995, when Image and everything really started, it kind of blew up the market. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of tough getting into comic books. But um, people use a lot of inkers, and that's kind of like what I did. I put out my first book, actually, creating a row back in 94. It was called Seventh Millennium. It was based on my D&D characters. It was sold nationwide and made a profit. Nice. Yeah, well, it was amazing. Like, well, this is easy. <laughs> you know, it's so easy. 
I'm 24. Yeah, I, this, I can make a living at this. See, look, Mom, Dad, I made a profit on this, blah, blah, blah. They go, why don't you have a backup plan? Why don't you just, you know, get oh, your yeah. degree in design just on the off chance it doesn't work. Right. I'm like, I don't need to do that. But I got my degree in design, and while trying to break in, uh, I worked in newspaper for about five years. Now, again, in the early 90s, there wasn't a lot of computer work. It was all marketing comps and everything. Yep. It was just starting coming to play. But I loved computers. It was amazing to me. Photoshop was like magic. You can do all sorts of cool stuff. So I learned Illustrator and I learned Photoshop while being working in newspaper, learning everything. When I moved to Florida, I did battle simulations for a Lockheed Martin on Photoshop, eight hours a day. It was such a tough job. It was just horrible. Making so much money playing Photoshop, it was just <laughs> it was tough. Um, but from there, uh, I worked for Walt Disney World and Creative Marketing for a while, and then I worked for Universal Studios in their marketing department, and then International Speedway Corporation, NASCAR, for a while, wow. and then I was an art director for Verizon, and then I did work for Warner Brothers and DC Licensing, and then I was a creative director for about eight years, and then I semi-retired, and then I got into film. So that, that's kind of how it happened. Nice. So that was my backup plan, yeah. <laughs> how did you first get into film? Like, what, what was your first uh, <laughs> role or first dab into the film industry so uh ken anthony was making a film and he needed a bodyguard like oh, i can do a bodyguard so i was a bodyguard and then rick danford was making um the book of nightmares and needed a ghoul so i thought oh, i can get my face painted really cool <laughs> so i did that um and i said this is kind of fun and i found out there's a lot of film stuff going on i'm like well how do i what do i do how do i they go well you just need to start auditioning Okay. I mean, I when I was in high school, I was voted most theatrical. I did musicals and everything, all, all through whatever. But again, I'm in upstate New York. I thought that I'm never going to do films. So I just kind of put it aside. Like, if I can do some films, that's amazing. Okay. So I started trying to audition for some things. Um, and I started booking a couple of roles. And then I actually got footage for a reel. And I made it. And I got my first agent. And then wow. there you go. And then making films actually writing and trying to make a film there's a 30-day film challenge and that's how my first film love hate the amazing life of a comic book artist came about i dug really deep for that man i had to, I had to do a lot of research because it's you know it's a stretch well i wanted to be able to write a film script i run i wrote plenty of comic book scripts like tons it was a completely different animal because i didn't have to add so much detail yeah i could break things down and then when I was on set, I could describe what I was looking to do. But I knew nothing about making the film, like nothing. So Austin McKinley, um, I met 10 years prior. He was just breaking into comic books. Um, and we kind of met up again about four months ago on Facebook. He had his own film stuff. He was making films. Um, he was still doing some comic book stuff. I'm doing comic book stuff. And I said, hey, if we can ever work together. That would be great. Fast forward to this, so I said, hey, man, listen, I got this idea for a comic book idea. I sent him the script. He liked the script. said, I don't know anything about making a film directing. I know nothing. He goes, well, I tell you what. I'm working on this book called Nightmare World. I need an anchor for the series that's going through Devil's Do. I'll trade you. You help me with this. I'll help you with that. Great. So he helped me make this film. We did the film challenge, and, and then that's kind of how I made my first film. I've done four other films that I wrote and, and, and directed in. 
couple I was actually active in too. Um, I like, but I, I was behind the camera. I devout, I devour everything. I try to do whatever medium I'm trying to get into. So I have a full understanding. Like when I did comic books, I've done writing, I've done penciling, I've done inking, I've done lettering, I've done coloring. I did the whole process. So I have understanding how everything is put together. Yep. Right. So when I'm getting art teams, I know what I'm looking for. Same thing with film. Since that first film, I'm like, all right, well, I need to learn how to make a film in order to, to write and create a film because I have no idea. So I was a sound guy. I was first AD. I was a PA. I was, you know, I did all that. Oh, yeah. So I had an understanding not only as making a film behind the camera, but also as an actor. It helped me tremendously because once I'm on set, I'm understanding where lights are, so I, my body position can be a certain way. I know which volumes I need to speak, so the sound guy gets the best sound. All that makes me uh, solutions to their problems, which makes me hire, which is ultimately what I was looking to do. So that's so to answer long answer to your question. I, I, I did background work to give me the bug to get me into this crazy industry. Yep. And uh, so, but luckily I've, I've worked with some big films and done some cool stuff so far. Nice. Oh yeah. It's, it's always a long road, but something that Chris and I both like very advocate for, like whatever you could do on a film set, if you get on set, just do it. Like you said, you were doing uh, lighting, sound, AD. Like, so that's basically what we pride ourselves on because we did everything from the beginning of making a film to all the way to even acting in a film. Chris has acted in yeah. a couple films. <laughs> oh, what? You've been in a couple films of yours, of you do? Acting? Yeah. I don't act. Oh, I know you don't, like but I'm you have done not it. not good at it. I don't know what happens. Like, <laughs> It's weird because when I direct, I can basically act out like what I'm trying to oh, yeah. give to the actor. I, I can do that. But then like when I'm in front of the camera, like I shut down. Like, it's so yeah. weird. Like I shut down and I'm like, I, I feel like I'm an idiot in front of the camera so <laughs> yeah. i just i just yeah. said you know what i don't think this is for me yeah for me i started in uh high school as in, in theater i was in radio broadcasting i was on the radio uh, on the radio station for the high school and i was also uh the, the news anchor for the the tv show on uh in high school so i started there then i you know got an agent in philadelphia and then I did a TV show. I was just in front of the camera. Then I started working behind the camera, shooting with the camera, doing lighting, sound, and everything. And that's pretty much when I moved to Florida. I pretty much did the exact same thing when I met I met Chris a couple years ago with uh, Sean, yeah. and then we just I just started doing whatever I could behind the behind the camera. Did a couple of things in front of the camera um, when we were in a pinch. But you know, I just whatever I could do in the industry, I usually just try to get my feet wet and dive right into whatever I could. Yeah, honestly, that's what, what we advocate for. Like, if anyone new actor, anyone trying to get into the industry, get on a set any way you can, whether it's just holding a mic or holding a pack or AD or just uh, any type of assistant, just to see how the film process goes. Yeah. Um, the script supervisor, just literally anything on the set, just to see, get an idea of what you're getting yourself into, and then just trying to learn the mm -hmm. different roles. It's, I, I think it's something that every actor, or new actor, or anyone trying to be in the film industry should do. Is just do anything on the set, and that, that's something that we just tell over and over and over again because you know there's just not enough of that. A lot of people don't understand the, you know, the struggles that you know just a simple lighting guy. But you know what? He's got to understand different reflections. He's got to know how to you know, put somebody in the right light and 
you know, so that so the cinematographer could put him in the right shot. So it's there's a lot yeah. involved in it that actors and new people are just breaking in the industry don't understand like how much work actually no. goes into. Yeah, yeah, it might be just a someone a guy shining a light on a face to get a good shot, but you know what? They're, those people who are shining that light and shooting that camera have experience of you know so they can get that perfect shot. The actor does, doesn't understand that, and that's no. that, that that's something that you know I, I I don't get why they just don't you know try it themselves and so they understand like what we go through. Like our experience is what Laziness. gives us that. Well, that too. But our experience gives us the talent to, you know, put them in the right light so we can actually make them look good on camera. Same thing with the makeup yeah. artists. So. so what's interesting is, um, and being in this, the second thing, and for, for new people, they're just, they're in a rush. They have a certain thing that they are looking, they want to do, and they're trying to rush to get there. Yep. And they're not enjoying the journey. When I, wow. in comic books, I made lots of mistakes. And I came off as needy a lot of the time to prove that I was actually able to, and I was worthy of, and, and this and this, I wasn't enjoying the process and everything like that. So when I decided to really do this, I talked to my wife um, and she goes, okay, let's give it three years. And I said, okay, I'm going to walk down this path and I'm going to enjoy the path and I'm going to try not to get stressed out. I'm, I'm going to just, whatever That's happens, <laughs> good or bad, I'm just going to enjoy it. You know what I mean? Either way, it's going to be the experience that I, I want to be able to enjoy. And going from that mindset has helped tremendously. You know what I mean? People don't want to work with needy people or um, aggressive people or, you know, that sort of thing. Right. And I found out afterwards, and I, I apologize to a few editors that I that I knew back in the day because I was really kind of like I have to I need I need and you don't need you want yeah. because you, for some reason it needs to fill something so I'm anything that I work on I'm very thankful for but I make choices of things that I want to work on too that's my luxury you know what I mean like I want to do all these things I want to work on these productions I, I choose to work behind the scenes whatever because this industry this craft I want to know more about a lot of people, they just want to act. They just, and that's fine if that's what they want to do. As an artist, you want to make comic books. You want to just draw. That's fine if you, if you want to make a living that. But are you going to get true joy out of the out of the thing that you're working? With? I don't think so. You're not going to get true joy in the film industry unless you have a full understanding of what's all involved with it. Because yeah. you can't appreciate everything that's involved in the film, right? Yeah. If you're doing one thing. You don't know about the others. You don't know of everything else that goes into it. Oh, it's yeah. all about it's all about working, working in the industry, and then being a star in the industry. Yeah. My wife and I talked about this last night. You know, she goes, "So, what would you like to be?" I said, "I want to work. I, I don't care about being a star. Like I, I've been quote unquote famous in the comic book industry when I've worked on Iron Man and stuff like that. You know, I had a lot more fans than I do now." I've, I have loyal fans that still to this day, for whatever reason, come and have me sign books and have me do draw stuff, which is just mind-boggling to me. Um, but I want to work on cool projects. I want to work with cool people. I want to work on things that will resonate for years to come. I don't care about awards. I don't care about being in front of camp or all that crap. Yep. You know what I mean? I, that's that's not my deal. That's not my jam. Yeah, that's the, not, the to me, that's not what I'm – 
That's how I, I don't I need validation. Want, I just want Absolutely. people to watch my stuff. Like I don't yeah. care yeah. if I yeah. win best actor. Yeah, or yeah. accolades whatever. are not needed, not, are not necessary. You know, we just do it for. But also the new people, they have different expectations. They have these outlandish expectations where the or like it's just weird what they like. I want to you know act in this movie and be famous. I'm like. No, no. You know how many people that want to be famous? Like yeah. you, you have to have realistic expectations, and right. you know people that have been yeah. doing this, doing the different, you know, the roles that we have. Like we have our our expectations are realistic. We understand. Well, you know, this may not, you know, make us get, you know, give our big break, but you know what? It's going to pay my bill next year, <laughs> or it's going to, you know, pay my bills, or it's going to put me in yeah. onto the next platform. But you know, we have realistic expectations. These new people, they have. These expectations are, you know, I want to be, I'm going to be famous in two years. Like, okay. Well, <laughs> that falls back into what we had talked about talent versus, yep. you know what I mean? The ability of learning the processes in order to make money and, and make a living at it. Yep. You know what I mean? Right. Um, to go back to baseball, most baseball players, they did it because they love the game and they could make some money. They weren't trying to be superstars. They yep. just, they love the game. And they, yep. You can make money at it too. Great. You know what I mean? That's why they didn't get paid super amount. That's why they didn't have super agents and all that that's going on. Um, you can go in thinking that you're going to do that. And if you work hard enough, you might be able to, but realistic expectations is the cornerstone of everything that I do creatively. And I tried to set that up in the very beginning. Yep. Um, I have no expectations on everything I do when it comes to film. I hope things go well, yep. and I, I try to do the best that I can, and I try to improve each time I'm on set or I'm acting in something or I'm making something. As a creative person, if you're not growing and you're not expanding and you're not improving, then what's the point of being creative overall, yep. in my opinion? Yep. You know, there, there's no joy there, yep. you know? Yep. Um, yes, is it a job? Yes. Sometimes does it suck? Yeah. It, it does. That's the realistic expectations of it. There, uh, there's a lot of new comic book artists that come up and they can draw really great female figures. And I'm looking through their portfolio. So this is great. This is fantastic stuff. I said, so can you draw guys? Yeah. I, can, I don't see any samples of that. Well, I can't. I appreciate you telling me that, but I don't see. <laughs> so draw some guys. Maybe show me that. Can you draw backgrounds? I don't really like backgrounds. Well, then you're not working in comic books. Well, what do you mean? Yeah. yeah. It, Back in the 90s, yep. how it worked was, if you worked for Marvel or DC in the bullpen, you got hired as either a pencil or an inker, and you either did background pencils, or you filled in blacks, or you inked backgrounds, and you showed you can make deadlines, and then they moved you up to actually doing a page. So and then like they, they had to do an issue. You go from there's, there's, fire hydrants to yeah. trees to... Yeah, it, stepping stones. You had right. to prove. When I'm you were an indie comic book person, you worked, you didn't get paid. You had to show that you could make deadlines, not a deadline, deadlines. That you could show that you could actually do it. Yep. Nowadays, you have people that are expecting 100 to $150 a page who've never been published. Right. Ever. <laughs> that's I, like the actor that wants a hundred dollars a day or two hundred dollars a day and he's never acted in anything in his whole life and then people get yeah. pissed off when you know when the filmmaker who has a two thousand dollar budget isn't paying the actors yeah but they're all new people like that's how i started i started with a nine hundred dollar budget on my first movie 
and I got yeah. people that had never acted before and I gave them an opportunity to be in a movie and yeah, yeah. the movie sucked ass, but you know, everybody was, it was fun. Like it was all passion. Everybody wanted to be there, did their best sure. and we made a movie. And nowadays it seems like, you know, if you don't, if you're not paying your actors, you get crucified. And my thing is like, if you don't want to be in the movie, nobody's making you be in this movie. So just, just yeah. say no. I see it all the time in these Facebook groups where somebody will post an ad for, you know, hey, I need three actors for a movie, a short movie, and, you know, you get IMDb credit and food or whatever. And then they just get, like, destroyed by all these comments of people just saying, hey, you need to pay your actors and what? That's bullshit. I'm not working on this movie for that and all this stuff. I'm like, I'm looking at this. I'm like, don't. <laughs> Nobody's making you. But there is somebody that would be ecstatic to be on this movie for no money. Like they don't care, you know. Yeah. And yeah. that's why it's it's different now, you know, that I've been I've been making movies 11 years now and it's different now. Like and now we try to pay our actors like we want to, um but sometimes you can't pay them that much because you don't have the budget and Yeah. That's when the actor has a choice. Do I want to be in this movie for 20 bucks a day or not. And if you don't, great. If you do, we want to have yeah. you. Yeah. You know, and it's it's just crazy to me that that people just go off on these filmmakers and you know, we're all in the same boat. Like nobody has any money. We're all wanting to do movies and we do our best to make it happen and you know, to get crucified for that is just like it's ridiculous to me. And it's very frustrating. Like like I said before, I can't post for a casting without somebody, you know, jumping on the, on the, on the post commenting about, you know, whatever. Oh, do you have yeah. a, do you have a, what do they call it now? Um, if there's nudity on set, it's a intimacy, an coordinator. intimacy coordinator. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> an intimacy coordinator on my $3,000 movie. I've made uh, eight movies and they've all had nudity. I'm the intimacy coordinator. How about that? I'm the director. I'm the intimacy coordinator. So <laughs> I don't I don't like it. Like I don't get it. I, and I understand yeah. that there's a lot of directors out there that are, have problems and they're predators or whatever. I I completely get it. But just to get like I feel like I get harassed about that stuff and I'm just like Jesus Christ, man. Like leave me alone. I just if you want to be on my movie, awesome. If you don't then awesome. That's great. Just yeah. make your choice. Well, those are what we call the trolls in the industry. They God, just they just, just, they, just want, they just want to be involved in a conversation and just right. want to be heard. But it's like they act like I've never made a movie before. I've never casted a movie before. And I'm like, I have my system. This is what works for me. Leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Yeah. yeah. So maybe I, I, it's touchy for me. I don't know why. But um, who oh, hurt you? Annoying. Who hurt you? <laughs> know, right? are, are you? Do you need I get to talk upset. Okay. I get upset about it. Anyway, you're right. I'm PTSD come out. Yeah, let's switch the channel. Do, do, do you need to uh, talk to somebody? Do, 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 no, are you okay? <laughs> I'm good. Let's switch channels. I'm assuming you have an amazing comic book collection. I've had three amazing comic book collections. I've sold them all. I have, have a couple of boxes of, of stuff that I really collect, um, and then like mostly from friends and everything like that. Right. I uh, have any. Big collections or nothing, huh? 
No, not so much anymore. I mean, I've had the last collection I had, I had 50 boxes, you know, and they were I keys and everything like that. I just, now I just have specific ones that I like to collect. Believe me, I'm, I'm, I'm itching. I'm itching to go okay. and just buy out and get, get my X-Men. Cause at one point I had X-Men, um, 56 all the way up to 400 and something. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I just, you know, I, Oh yeah, well, uh, it's a, it's a slippery slope for me, man. If I start doing it again, it's just you know, there's the lots the, the money. <laughs> the money that I'm going to spend on comic books, yeah, I'd rather totally. spend on film at this it's point, or, or pay my artists or whatever. That's yeah. that's my investment. But yeah, Chris, back in the day, I had some re like I had, you know Hulk 181, you know, I had God, I had all the different keys, not like the ones, but you know. It's funny. Uh, I just I just started collecting maybe six or seven years ago, and mm-hmm. I I seem to look for the shit that nobody has. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Um, like I, I collect all the horror comics from like the early two thousands, Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street. Like they were small yeah. runs, and you can't yeah. find those things anywhere. So no. whenever I would go to like Spooky or Comic Con and somebody had them, I would just buy them, and they're like expensive, like the Halloween ones go for like 40, 50 bucks of copy. Yeah. And um, Those are the devil's do the devil do run devil's do. Yeah. Yeah. Halloween. Yeah. yeah. Um, they had night dance and some other ones and then text chainsaw massacre, but you can't find them anyway. Like I, when, uh, my girlfriend was working, she worked for Duke energy. And when she was, um, uh, there, her position, the person in Orlando left, and took a different position, so it was open, and she had to kind of run both centers. So we were, she yeah. was driving to Orlando once a week, and I would go with her, and she'd go to work, and I'd hit all the comic book stores around the area, and there's a lot up in Orlando, and I would yeah. not find any. Like, it was crazy. And I and over the years, I've collect. I mean, I've got probably two short boxes full of, the, of those ones, and um, I got most of them. Uh, do you, you know uh, Demolition Comics? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so he he owned the the one in Citrus Park Mall also, and I went yeah. into a store one day and I was talking to him. And I was like, man, I was like, where are you hiding the horror comics? He goes, oh, you want the horror comics? He said, yeah, hang on. So he goes in the back and he brought out a box and they were all like foils and all these crazy comics from Texas Chainsaw on Friday the Thirteenth. And I spent yeah. I spent over six hundred dollars that day buying all yeah. of his freaking horror books. I spent my my whole paycheck. On comic books, it was ridiculous. But um, and now I'm now I'm looking for um, the uh, Marvel hip hop covers and can't find them anywhere. Like I found one over the weekend, but they're apparently very obscure and you can't find them anywhere. eBay's the way to go, man. eBay's yeah, the way to go. I think it's more the thrill of the hunt than anything. Like digging mm-hmm. through comics and like, oh my god, here it is. You know, I yeah. think that's more of the the rush than actually just having it. You know what I mean? Mm. Cause then it gets thrown in a box and you never see it again. So I think it's just the thrill of the hunt for me, at least um, right. trying to find these things all over the place. Um, and then I'm also, I'm about to finish the, uh, the, uh, ghost rider, um, rise of the midnight suns set. Oh, nice. six. Yeah. I need, uh, the last ghost rider 32, right. I think. And I can't find that one anywhere. I got all the other ones, but um, hmm. I don't know. It's just fun for me to, 
you know, my kids are both into comics, so we kind of do that all together. And, you right. Know, it's, it's a nice family bonding, affair. Bonding moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have any hobbies like that. Um, no. I think I just buy... I buy random stuff. I don't yeah. know. I have, I have an addiction, uh, uh, Amazon addiction problem, so I yeah. just buy everything from Amazon. I and know. I have a massive toy collection. My, my whole office is just filled with toys. Like, you can't put anything else in that room. Like, it's getting kind of out right. of hand. But, yeah. um... Yeah. Well, and yeah. again, it's more the hunt. Yeah. Trying to find the stuff. More importantly, Austin, do you have yes. a bet? Are you playing fantasy football this year? No, I'm not. Oh no! <laughs> I know. I missed it this year. I uh, there was a couple of people that invited me, and um, the past summer was I was actually really busy with doing commercials and stuff like that, and I just I could not. I the weekends they had me, I just I was booked. I couldn't do it. I'm I'm bummed. Yeah, it's like my first year in like five years, dude. So you get to watch like, football uh, with no stress. That's all. Yeah, well, yeah, well, normal stress, but yeah, it's just like. But but do you watch all the all the games? Because now with playing fantasy, I like like I've been playing for like yeah I like, eight years. I watch players. I don't really watch teams. I watch players. Yeah, but I, but I literally watch all the games. I'm like throw to Godwin, throw to Godwin. Right. Like like yeah. like every single. Game. Oh, I'm always. I'm always after the fact of hitting YouTube for the highlights and like yeah. seeing who does what. And I check, st I'm checking stat. Like I'm on, I go to um, Bleacher Report. I'm like, okay, game stats. I'm always looking at the stats and seeing right. what's what, who's yeah. how many sacks, and okay, force fumble. Yeah, all, every day, like every weekend. I'm like, you know, that college I was gonna do, and I'm like, no, nah, I can't do college. Just that's a whole other um, animal. I just like, can't even. Yeah, I can't get into college football. I just, I just can only watch so many games that are sixty-three to yeah. zero. I used to be I really, I used so to many. be really into college, and now I'm a Miami Hurricane fan, and now they, they're like awful. Yeah, and <laughs> it's just hard to watch. Take the good and the bad. It's yeah. hard to watch. Well, I'm a Giants fan. Feel for me. I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling right now. Mm -hmm. I'm hurting. I'm bleeding. Are you, you're a Giants fan? Yes, I am. Uh, it could be worse. You could be a Jets fan. <laughs> oh, said the same thing. Yeah, he did say that. He, <laughs> right he actually said that about an hour ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but we're 0 3, so I, I don't know. I have not, not much, much to. I have not much to root for. Well, at least you're scoring a few points. The Jets yeah. Are like, yeah. Well, Jets speaking of speaking of, of the Giants, how's Saquon doing? I know he came back from injury. He ran. He, he had a decent still, game last game. Yeah, he scored last week uh, or this week, but uh, he he's they've been breaking him in slowly. Yeah. They they've been giving yeah. him like 10 to 11 carries a game. Um, yeah, uh -huh. they've been giving it to Devontae Booker quite a bit, and then. Uh, um, so they've been spreading it out a little bit, but uh, Daniel Jones is actually doing pretty good. He's had only one turnover this so, so far in three games. So wow. he's actually doing. He threw for 250. He didn't have a touchdown, but he, had, he threw for like 250 yards this week. Um, not wow. many, not many mental problems. He was just he controlled the game. He, he ran for I think 50 yards. So he's doing what he can. Like he's actually getting better, but you know he's just not getting a lot of supporting support through the rest of the team. Dinkin dunks. Yeah. Well, that's what. <laughs> Did you see the Dolphins over the weekend? Jalen Waddle had 11 catches for 56 yards. I was like, that's how nice. is that even possible? Well, he was averaging four down, yards. Yeah. He's a wide receiver. Yeah. Four yards a catch. I was just like, what in the hell? Like, that's crazy. Well, if you played him on fantasy, he had 11 points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then PPR. In the quarterback, he had 32 completions and for like. 219 yards or something. I was just like, well, oh my god. Well, two was hurt, so he must have been throwing a little. Well, he, two yard. He might have not been like, pr like primary in the ga game plan, the quarterback, because like when Tua went down, that they they were hurt. They didn't well, know they knew what to he do. was going to be the guy. Yeah, 
I don't know Two why. I, last week, so. I wasn't a fan with uh, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Name a good Ohio State quarterback. Uh, yeah, I don't have that. Yeah, I'll wait. Hey, you got Fields on on the Bears. He's going to be an amazing quarterback. Yeah. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's gonna... yeah. I think he threw for Six. one yard. Hey, here's the thing with Justin Fields. He threw his passing yards were two yards more than Justin Tucker's field goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He threw for 68 yards. That's nuts. Six completions, yeah. 68 yards. Well, I, yeah. So, and I had a debate with my buddy because he's like, oh, Justin Fields is going to be the man. And uh, I was trying to get Derek Carr from him, trade him, and he has Justin Fields. And I'm like, if you think Justin Fields is going to be so good, give me Derek Carr. Yeah. I'll give me yeah. him. I'll, oh, I'll yeah. trade you for him. <laughs> and he did. He ended up trading me for him, and he wow. started Fields. And I told him, I was like, dude, I'm telling you, Justin Fields is going to be a bust. No, he's got all the tools, and he's so good. He's going to be great. I'm like, there are no Ohio State cornerbacks that have ever been good, ever. Yeah. And, well, why do you think that is? I don't know. It's weird. Right? Yeah. I don't know. So, I yeah. think Art Schleister back in the day was all right. But he had a gambling problem. Before my time, buddy. Yeah. Before my time. Uh, yeah. Well, my fantasy quarterbacks is uh, Herbert and, and Stafford. So I'm, I'm, I'm hanging pretty good. Right oh, now. you're good. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm yeah, hanging pretty good. My running backs, uh, I mean, I have Eckler and uh, who's my other one? I have Mixon. I have Mixon as my flex. I know your team better than you. I do. Um. <laughs> I, I can't even think who my number two running back is, but but my wide receiver is doing pretty good. I, I have number twos. I have Chris Godwin and I have Mike Williams. So I've been doing all right with uh, with the number two wide receivers. <laughs> Who's your defense? Uh, Denver. Okay. I had Denver for the last three weeks. Uh, they, yeah, they've been doing pretty good. This week they got me yeah. eleven points, I think. But my kicker yeah. is yeah, I got the Rams. So it was like Sunday was like yeah, you know, rooting against the Bucks and oh, well, I don't root against the Bucks, but. Yeah. You know how it is. You're like, yeah, I want my team to win, but I also want the other guy to throw for like a thousand yards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did that game one when we, when we played Denver, Giants played Denver, and like I had the defense. I was like, I don't know. But you know what? They, they did all right, but it wasn't. Right. Bridgewater lit us up, which. He's uh, actually playing good. Yeah. What are they? They're 3 0. 3 0. They're 3 0. Bridgewater. Okay. So I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. Yeah. And. I, de- I despise our quarterback because he costs us $160 million guaranteed, which is just yeah. stupid, but whatever. Uh, but I'm a big, big Bridgewater fan. So happy he was actually able to come back and play. Oh, yeah. And I'm glad he's doing well in Denver. He just needed a good shot. So I'm, I'm happy for, yeah. for him with that. I thought he was going to get it in New Orleans. I really did. Like, I really thought he was going to get that good. shot. Yeah. But uh, I guess they gave, they gave it to Jameis, so I don't know. Jam- Jameis, Jameis. Yeah. Which Jameis you gonna have? Which Jameis is gonna come up? I know. You right? never know. Like one week he looks great, and then the next week he chucking yeah. balls up for grabs. Yeah. Did you see yep. that over the weekend? He threw the pass up for grabs. The guy caught it for a touchdown, and he went over to the sidelines, and the coach like ripped his ass. <laughs> yeah. Like, you get your ass ripped yeah. for throwing a touchdown. Well, pass. it was like that that flea flicker that Trevor Lawrence threw. Like, where are you throwing it? Yeah. <laughs> the guy was right there. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So, can we talk about that for a minute? Because, first of all, I am I am a, a Florida Gator fan. I despise, I despise the coach. Despise oh, yeah. him. He is such. He's such. Oh, whatever. Yeah. So Trevor Lawrence comes, and they're like, "Oh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be great. He's going to be ever. He is getting lit up. Yeah. Right. He is getting destroyed." Oh yeah, I think and it's a game I'm, plan. I'm, it was funny because Urban Meyer 
uh, last week said, man, the NFL is like playing Alabama every week. Yeah, we don't have the Citadel on the, roster, on the yeah. schedule. You're not going to be playing Appalachian State. What did he expect? I don't know. Welcome like, to the big boys. Yeah, right. You know? He's We're, never coached I the NFL, him, has he? Yeah. I give Myers two years, and then he's oh, going to yeah. have a health-related something going yeah. on. He's going to have to retire He'll pull a again. Save. He'll pull a save. And he'll play, did did he'll USC hire a coach? Did USC hire a coach? I don't know. Uh, I don't he, know. He might jump ship and go there. Like, you know what? I can't do this professional ball yeah. stuff. I'm going back to college. He'll bail. Yeah. Well, no, he'll he'll he's gonna go and he'll be an analyst for about five weeks, right. and then he'll just happen to just go ahead and do that. Yeah. You know, because he's he, he wasn't feeling well. He couldn't deal with the stress. But you know, USC, he'll do much. I just I just oh. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like what Mike Mayock and uh, John Gruden did. They did the analyst thing for like. Like what, a couple weeks, six weeks, maybe a season. I loved Gruden in the booth. Oh yeah, he's very John, animated. Yeah. He's John Gruden actually did. He was making good money. He did oh, really yeah. well on night football. But when you get actually, Coaching hey, bug. you want a hundred million dollars guaranteed to coach our team? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yep. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to give you ownership of the team, and here's some money, and just you know, okay. Yeah, they're three and up. Yeah, I like Gruden. I really do. I've always liked Gruden. Um, I'm yeah. surprised Romo's not coaching. Like he is, G- give an it a little amazing bit. Amazing announcer. Like he, oh, he calls the plays before yeah. like, every play. He knows what they're gonna do, and it's yeah, really amazing. Yeah, um, I am so stoked for him. I, I thought he was a good guy. I didn't like him as a quarterback. I think yeah, he's a good, a quarterback. good quarterback, not a great quarterback. But he is amazing analyst. Yeah, the stuff awesome. he's just—he's like prodigy. He just calls plays. He sees it way before it even starts. It's, a, it's so so cool to see. Yeah, yeah, and he's funny too. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually like him more as an analyst than I did like him as a player. But then again, I was—I'm a Giants fan, so you know, that's, that's, well, yeah, that's a given. Yeah. Uh, but have you guys been watching the Eli and Peyton versions of uh, the Monday? No, Night I football? haven't. Like, where do you see that? It's like, on ESPN too. Oh. Really? Yeah, it, they played in unison with. Uh, I actually like. I actually like the Monday Night announcers this year. Uh, it's Brian Greasy and yeah, the two other guys. But they're funny. They brought on. Uh, but they bring on guests too to watch the game with them, and then you know. Yeah. Do it, I'll have to watch that one. It's, it's actually pretty funny. You know, they 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 Cause they, uh, stuff. The, they have uh, memes all day on Facebook. Last year when they had Booger McFarland. Oh, oh my, my god. god. He was so bad. Well, do you see the winner is the guy who has the most points. Oh, he was terrible. <laughs> I'll tell you a Booger McFarland story. I have a great Booger McFarland story. So, um, years ago, my cousin, he used to work for the Buccaneers a long time ago. And then he went on to coach. He coaches college and stuff. Anyway, he knew he was like best friends with the video coach for the Bucks. Mm-hmm. So, every year, we would go to an away game and we would get on the field. We'd watch the game on the field. Right. So... Uh, one year we went to um, we went to uh, Washington RFK Stadium, and it was when Clinton Portis played for Washington. I was a big fan and, of Clinton Portis. Uh, Gruden was coach. We had Joey Galloway, and um, I can't remember who the hell our quarterback was. Was it Johnson? It was post Brad Johnson. Uh, so, oh Freeman, no, not Freeman. No, uh, before Freeman. I don't know if it was no, uh, Garcia, uh, uh, Jeff Garcia. <laughs> I don't remember who. It was. No, Sean. It was uh, Sean. Um, shoot. No, uh, it wasn't Sean King. Sean King was with Dungy. Oh. It may have been I Brad know. Johnson. 
It was. It was. Gruden? It wasn't the year we went to the Super Bowl. It was the year. Was it the Sims? I don't know if it was a year after, two years after we won the Super Bowl. Anyway, that's no point in it. Anyway, I, I still remember the first play from scrimmage. They gave the ball to Portis, and he ran like seventy yards for a touchdown. I was <laughs> like, it's going to be one of those days. <laughs> so anyway, um, so during the game, Booger McFarland gets taken out, and he's like injured, and um, so. It's halftime, and we go into the locker room, and right when you walk in the locker room, there's, like, all these tables set up where they do, like, exams and whatever. So Booger McFarren's laying on this table. Now, this is a big 320-pound dude, right, sitting on a table, and the doctor is pouring eye drops in his eyes because he had dirt in his eye. And Booger McFarlane is screaming like somebody's killing him. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is going on here? Like, it was so weird seeing this giant guy cry like that because he had dirt in his eye. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, ridiculous. They're big teddy bears. They're, they're Actually, big. one of the games we went to on the field was the uh, Giants game when uh, it was like 60-mile-an-hour wins. Oh. And Greg Kowski threw the ball 50 times. <laughs> was it oh in God. the Meadowlands? Yeah. 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 Oh, Meadowlands. yeah. We're notorious for that. It was insane. Like, uh, pregame, the kickers were kicking field goals, and the ball was going up perfect. in the air and yep. coming back at them. Yep. Like, it was insane. But Giant Stadium was very famous for yeah, that because we crazy. had that swirling winds. Like, you had to, like, because they yeah. swirled. You, you, oh, yeah. That's, you looked up in the air, and there was all this trash swirling around the uh-huh. stadium. Like, it was crazy. Uh-huh. It was famous for it. I used to go to those games all the time. I loved them. Dude, the field was it. trash, though. Like It was like the real thin AstroTurf that yeah, was yeah. like concrete underneath. Yeah. yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, well, well, that stadium was built in like 1925. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. Before the before the game started, um, they were doing the national anthem, and me and my cousin were standing next to each other, and we hear, Whoa! Whoa! and we're like, what the hell? That? We look behind us, and it was Bruce Gratkowski's first ever start, and he's puking <laughs> his guts out <laughs> behind <laughs> us. <laughs> It's real down there. It's real down yeah. there. We got our ass kicked that game. Well, it is what it is. All right. Yeah. Well, Austin, I just want to I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for joining us on Killer Collab Podcast. No problem. So it's too bad we couldn't find Joe Davidson. Yeah, yeah no. Joe. I paged him. He, he he didn't respond. He's, He's like an he adventure every week. He's an adventure. Yeah. Is Joe going to show up? Is he going to be late? He didn't pick up the white phone. <laughs> you never know. We need the bat phone for. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate you guys having me on. This this was uh it was fun talking film and sports and everything. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, it, we we try to make it a good time on here. We just we didn't stop. It was really good. I I appreciate it. Appreciated your time, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us at the Killer Collab Podcast. My name is Tony Deaf in Florida. Tony D. As always, Chris Lato to my left from Reaper Films. See you. Stay happy. Stay healthy. Stay safe.